Word of warning, this episode of Think Digital Futures is not suitable for children. This episode begins in England in the 1880s, in the midst of the Industrial Revolution. That era was all about invention. You know, all these new things were coming along, electricity and our understanding of gases and vacuum tubes. This is Judith Glover, design researcher and lecturer at RMIT. She's going to help me tell this story. Not everyone was prospering in the age of invention. In fact, men were starting to notice problems with their wives that couldn't be cured with medicine. For some reason, they just weren't acting like they should. Being cranky or, you know, having too much fluid retention or being melancholic, being too horny or being too frigid or all of these sort of stuff. Doctors call this condition hysteria. They worked out that women were suffering from hysteria, they called it, which was pretty much like anxiety and, and not feeling well within themselves. And this is Tanya Coons, a sexologist. She's also going to help tell the story. They worked out that giving them an orgasm would calm them down. As a psychological disorder, hysteria had been around for a while. But the number of women afflicted with this disease was growing. It seemed to have no cause, and doctors were at a loss. Until... Basically, they called it, you know, massaging your vulva, and you were massaged to what was called paroxysm. Or, in less medical jargon... Essentially, they were massaging your clitoris, and you were massaged to, to orgasm. Stories are fantastic of women coming out of these clinics and you are feeling fabulous. And of course they did because they actually had an orgasm. And of course they went back the next month because you could never really be cured of hysteria. But this is not where the story ends. So many women were being treated for hysteria that something else started to happen. Doctors who were treating middle class and upper class women in their clinics, I mean, they were getting RSI. And since all the doctors were men, and men's pain is a very serious issue, something had to be done immediately. Because they got sick of manually manipulating their clients, they invented machines to do it for them. This is where a guy called Samuel William Butler enters the picture. Who I think had a friend who was a rich lord or rich duke who was obsessed about electricity. Butler invented a machine that used electricity to create a sensation that could stimulate his female clients and relieve them of their hysteria. Butler invented a vibrator. This is Think Digital Futures. I'm Shane Anderson. We now know that hysteria was just a convenient label for a range of problems stemming from the repression of women. When you think what women's social position was in those times, trussed up in corsets and essentially owned by their husbands or their families, you can imagine that women would be going a bit batty. Oddly enough, it led to the invention of a piece of technology that in many ways liberated women. It gave them a new way to be intimate that didn't necessarily require men. The story of the vibrator proves that sex technology doesn't only exist in the bedroom. It has a social impact that ripples out to all aspects of our lives and our identities. We've come a long way since the industrial sex machines of 1880s England. But 130 years later, sex technology continues to change the way we understand and experience intimacy. But in the digital revolution, is this bringing us closer together or driving us further apart? So even though I've spent the last five minutes talking about vibrators, I think it's important to note that intimacy is more than just the act of sex. 
Tanya explains. Intimacy is actually the way that we live our lives together. It's not just about physical and sexual connection. It's how we speak to each other. It's how we communicate, how we relate. It does include intimacy, sex and um, touch, but it's how we share our lives. The key to intimacy is connection. And since, thanks to technology, we live in a hyper-connected world, the ways we can be intimate are also going into overdrive. Intimacy used to be thought about in terms of as a very private thing. This is Paul Byron, a media researcher at the University of Technology, Sydney. Many decades ago, your emotional life would be a very personal thing that happened with with family, maybe friends when you're a teenager, but then the traditional family structure would, would kind of house one's intimate life. So back in the 1950s, when hysteria was still an accepted medical diagnosis, your life would revolve around the family unit, and this would be kept private. But in the digital age, our friends play a much bigger role in our lives, and they're also much more public. As a young person, as a teenager, you have friends, but then you move away from those friends into a domestic, family-based realm. And we know that that doesn't happen these days. Friendships are longer-lasting. Intimacy is no longer restricted to the people we share a roof with. We can be emotionally intimate within friendships, and those friendships can be intimate in a sexual way too, like friends with benefits. This opens up a whole new set of ways people can express themselves. What would you need then for intimacy to happen if it's not like the the monogamous sexual partner model? What then is it? I guess the answer would depend on who you're asking. I think arguably intimacy can be quite individual. I would define it as closeness, trust, care, something that you willingly want and engage with. But are these new expressions of intimacy actually bringing us closer? If we're relying more and more on things like social media to relate to people, are we actually taking the human element out of intimacy? I asked Ross Dawson this. He's a futurist. The reality is that we can connect far more broadly, and that is something which we've proven over the last decade, that we have an insatiable appetite to connect with other people. But Ross says that there is a limit to this. Cognitively, we have you know, what I think of as a relationship bandwidth. We can't keep on connecting to more people indefinitely. That is, you know, brains and who we are is constrained. And there is some evidence that as we connect to more people, it can have an impact on our closest relationships. How technology impacts our intimacy is all down to the choices we make online. Ross calls this latent humanity, as in it's something human about ourselves that's always been there, but we don't really recognise it until it's suddenly happening online. Social media has not made us inhuman It has allowed us to express part of our humanity that we never had, we're never allowed to express before. So in a way, when we start to connect in new ways sexually, that again, it is not inhuman, it is not wrong, or it's not necessarily right. These are just choices we have. But even though it's technically a choice, it might not feel that way to the people experiencing it. So while our Facebook profile tells us we could fill a stadium with all our friends, we can get so lost in the crowd that we lose sight of what's in front of us. Tanya says this is something that she sees a lot. A lot of couples that are experiencing a decline in intimacy. And the latest study of the Australian sexual behaviour says that sex is on the decline. It used to be that we were having it 1.8 times a week and it's now 1.4 and we are blaming technology for that. Technology has taken over the bedroom and not necessarily in a good way. Lots of couples I met are going to bed with their gadgets. They're reaching for their gadgets instead of each other. It's not just being on our phones, it's what we're looking at that can also impact our intimate lives. 
with explicit images and videos readily available online depicting anything you can imagine, people can start to panic that the reality doesn't match up to the fiction. With all that information available, there's tons and tons of people coming to see me with performance anxiety because they feel like they should look like and act like the people they're seeing in porn or the things that they're learning about. People are getting very, very anxious. And most of the people I see have problems that are somewhat rooted in anxiety. So we're turning to our phones rather than the people next to us, and we're struggling to meet the expectations of the media that we consume. These are all problems rooted in our dependence on technology. But if you use it right, technology can also be your friend. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit more after the break. This is Think Digital Futures. Any sex tech that's come out that you've been like, no, this is this is not a good idea. <laughs> not that I've seen. I might come up with this a bit later, but um, there's got to be something that's made you cringe. Uh, oh. <laughs> there was a phenomenon of um, people just it was a Skype based thing where you send your photo to someone they print it out and they come all over it and then take a photo and send it back to you. I was like, really? Okay. <laughs> personally that doesn't really appeal to me but so I guess you know there's something for everyone so it's it's hard with that cringeworthy stuff because I'm very aware that everybody has the right to the sexuality that they want as long as it's not against the law and as long as there's consent then I think whatever you like hooray go forth do it to have fun but yeah not everything works for everyone and that's probably a good thing <laughs> yeah it sounds like one step up from sitting on the photocopier basically oh, oh gosh yeah I think so What's the worst bit of sex tech that you've come across? <laughs> First thing that comes to mind uh, is Roxy, uh, R-O-X-X-X-Y, which was demonstrated the first time three years ago as a, as a sex robot, which I believe has never actually met the market. But it is, uh, let's say, the opposite of attractive. <laughs> and, and I think uh, it would be, you know, it's repulsive, essentially. is Think Digital Futures. As you just heard, when it comes to the sex tech market, there's literally something for everyone. I'm taking a trip out to busy King Street in Sydney's Newtown. I'm here to visit a shop called Max Black to explore some of the ways sex technology is changing our intimate relationships. So who are you and how long have you worked here? My name's Kay and I've worked at Max Black for the last three years. Thereabouts. Max Black is a sex shop, but it's not your stereotypical seedy underground establishment. For starters, it's upstairs. It's open and it's full of light. And while I'm in there, every customer who walks in is female. I think gone are the days of having to sort of shyly sneak into an adult store and buy something really quickly and not really knowing what you're talking about or, or what you're looking for. Not only are the shops themselves evolving, but the products are too. In the three years that you've been here, how much of the market has changed technology-wise? 
Technology-wise, I'd say there's a lot more uh, accessible applications available on like smart technology um, adult toys. It's like more more apps. Yeah, yeah, I'd say more apps available. I mean, the technology itself in the individual toys, like uh, more waterproof options for toys, convection charge toys. Does that mean like heating? Well, magnetic charge, yeah, which also allows them to be more waterproof or more submersible um, as opposed to plug-in toys or, again, silicons that are BPA and phthalate-free, so better quality silicons on products. Yeah, just everything in the market. Basically, sex toys are getting smarter. You may have heard of the Internet of Things, where everyday objects like your kettle and toaster get hooked up to the Wi-Fi and come together in a web of interconnectivity. Well, this is kind of like an Internet of Intimacy. It's a field called teledildonics. So teledildonics is a word that has become very popular to describe how we can arouse each other at a distance. This is Ross again. And of course, using the word tele at a distance and dildonics, the dildo. But it is talks to a broader thing, which I describe as remote sex. So we can speak to each other at a distance. We can see each other at a distance. So now this, you know, broadly this whole field of remote sex is how is it we can stimulate and arouse and uh, each other at a distance. So this can mean technologies that sound like something out of science fiction, like virtual reality experiences and artificially intelligent sex robots. But teledildonics isn't just a far off trend. It's here now. And in its current form, it's all about linking apps with sex toys. You do have apps that are just to control the toy or vice versa, toys to control an app. You also have apps that allow uh, room to room. So within the same building or within the same uh, room, you can control a vibrator or another device with your phone. Have you got any of those here? We have plenty of those here. So we have uh, the WeVibe Sync, to be specific, is a couple's vibrator. Uh, The reason they call it a couple's vibrator is because you can use it solo or with a partner. Do you have the app anywhere? Can I have a look at the app? Well, yeah, I'll give you this little okay. part of the How would you describe this visually? Yeah, visually, I'd say it's like a C-shaped device with one smaller motor end that is sort of an insertable end, and the other would sit externally on the female body. What we've got here, external, internal. Yeah. And here on the app, you can actually see it says the words external and internal. So that's nice and simple. If I actually press the play button, it will start vibing. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very sort of quiet device you can increase and decrease the vibration with a little simple plus and minus yeah yeah and the benefit of having this application is that when i change the settings right okay so if i swipe to the left with the app you can see that it's got almost like a dotted line you have a waving sort of line you have you know sort of a wider sort of version of the same thing so that means you can visually have a cue of what the vibration is doing. A hands-free approach to sex toys means that people in long-distance relationships can still hold on to a sense of intimacy over distances. Whereas in the past, people would have had to write a letter or send a telegram, with something like the WeVibe, it's easier than ever to bridge that gap. Not only can remote sex work for people in long-distance relationships, but it can also help differently abled people express themselves sexually. You've got body wands and things which you can either hold or again if the person is differently abled you can always lie it down on a bed or place it on a surface that you can put your body against and it just depends on that functionality if you've got limited function you can maybe use the app where you can simply swipe across to change settings and change and increase and decrease vibration. I guess traditionally the issue of sexuality for people with disabilities is normally really kind of hush hush whereas now technology is kind of opening up 
these these new avenues to explore. Well, yeah, I just I think it's it's wonderful. I think the more we discuss these technologies and discuss openly sex and sexuality, the more available it comes to more people. Remote control vibrators are just the tip of the teledildonics iceberg, and not all of it is about getting down and dirty. It is also interesting to look at some of the broader frames around it. So, for example, this idea of giving someone a re, uh, remote hug. So there's also huggable pillars or things where you can give a hug at a distance or other ways of connecting or touches. And there's even, I think, in almost the same category, the things where you can, while your partner is lying down in another bed, you can change the, the light and the ambiance around them. I mean, again, these are different forms of, of connection where, again, it is not just the, the genitals that stimulate it. It's also about, well, how can we actually have this uh, full body experience? The applications of full-body sensory experiences go way beyond intimacy. One way Ross sees the future of teledildonics is through haptics. Yeah, haptics referring to the sense of touch. And the idea of a haptic suit is something which you put on and you can experience things, you know, touch at a distance. This has been used in gaming, for example, where you can go into a sports field and feel what it's like to be banged about or a ball to be thrown at you. But of course, these can also be used for you know, other forms of physical contact or other forms of connecting with, with other people. There are a few haptic suits on the market already. And like Ross said, they're mostly used for virtual reality gaming. But they will set you back a couple of grand. And you're not likely to see them on the shelves of JB Hi-Fi just yet. But just as the sex industry pushed the development of the VCR back in the 80s, our desires are driving us to create new ways to physically connect to each other. So with so many innovations across so many fields, what does the future of sex hold? The more I look into the future of sex, the more I feel that this is something which is deeply important and not just salacious or provocative. So, for example, brain-to-brain communication, which is actually becoming real at the moment in laboratories. What, what is brain-to-brain communication? Yeah, essentially these are mechanisms which can read our thoughts in various guys and communicate those to other people and basically have that thought appear in their mind. The idea of being able to share your thoughts and feelings through a machine interface could transform the way we experience intimacy. This is true augmentation. And even though it sounds pretty cool, it's not the only way forward for intimacy. According to Tanya, there's also a lot to be said for taking a step back, not just from sex technology, but technology in general. I would actually like to see it step a little bit away from technology and over information and sort of coming back to slowing things down. I'm not sure we're going to go that well because technology seems to be making everything go faster and faster and faster. I'd like to see technology help, you know, men and women understand each other's bodies better. There is a place for the quickie, don't get me wrong. But, you know, if that becomes the mainstay of people's diets because we're in a hurry and we're tired and we're overworked and overwrought, I think that it's going to have a really serious impact on intimacy. Sounds like you want like a grassroots sexual revolution, like taking it back. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think, you know, if I, I always say to people, if I can give you one message, it's slow the heck down and that will make things much, much better. So whether you choose to step into the future of sex tech or embrace the grassroots movement, intimacy is changing. And it's more than just the physical stuff. Technology is changing the way we emotionally connect to people. It's making people further apart feel closer together. But if we're not careful, it can also create a distance between the people closest to us. 
So when it comes to intimacy, it's not the technology that counts. It's how you use it. This has been Think Digital Futures. I'm Shane Anderson. Thanks a lot to the University of Technology Sydney and 2SCR for supporting this show. If you want to hear more, head to our website at 2SCR.com slash thinkdigitalfutures. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or your favourite download app. Thanks for joining me. Bye for now.